It is now Wednesday, November 4th at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And I'm saying that exactly because by the time you listen to this podcast on Friday, you will know more than we know. That's right. This is the day after Election Day, and we're going to get in to running and training and all those good things. But right now, I have to ask our guest, just to be honest, what's on our mind? David, what did you think about the election yesterday? (laughs) Well, um, I'm speaking right now with like a well of anxiety at the back of my chest that I'm not sure if on Friday people are going to be feeling the same way. But um, I think today was the first day in a few years where I just bagged a workout that was on the plan and just ran easy. I just didn't have it, didn't have the bandwidth today. It wasn't the state I was in. So um, yeah, I mean, for people listening to this on Friday, this little snapshot of where we are now is there's a general trajectory of where things are looking, um, but we're unsure. And um, that that uncertainty like is like the definition of anxiety, you know, trying to map certainty on it to an uncertain world. So what I'll say to everyone listening is that, you know, probably over the course of this podcast, you're going to hear me talk about ideas like love and hope and support and all these like, you know, holistic ideas of lifting each other up. Um, but there's a built in uh, barrier when we're talking about that, that all of that love stops as soon as someone um, does not reflect that onto others around them and isn't thinking about, you know, the, the rights, the expansive possibilities of, of others. And so, you know, I think this election is so important, not necessarily for even the exact policies that come out, though I think those are very important. Um, what I think it's really important for is affirming that other people freaking matter and that their experiences are valid. And, um, you know, I am obviously a little bit passionate right now and, and hopefully my anxieties will be will be proven to be a little bit over the top on Friday. But um, yeah, so well, if you're listening to this, sending all the love to you, uh, no matter where you are, as long as where you are is also with, with empathy for those around you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And indeed, right now at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on Wednesday, we do not know the outcome of this election at all, although uh, my home state of Michigan is getting close. So yeah, I would... You know, to, to lighten it up a little bit, I was uh, watching the needles on the New York Times. I'm sure people listening have like flashbacks with the needles and it brought up 2016 with the, you know, the predictor needles going all different directions and all different times of night. Um, and I went to sleep. I, I had the worst dreams of my life because of those damn needles. So um, what I learned was I just needed to kind of sign off and uh, and you know, accept the uncertainty a little bit more. Maybe there's a good metaphor there for, you know, some of some of other parts of life too. Well, I believe that we can vote for peace and we can do it right now in this moment. We can vote for peace within ourselves anytime, anywhere. And that's the only thing that's really going to help other people. And here's a very, very important question. Who are you? <laughs> I'm David Rich. I am not a political pundit, though, you know, Please, 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 even if you are not a political pundit, vote for good people. Um, I am a running coach here in Boulder, Colorado. Good. Thank you very much, David. Let's get let's get rolling in that direction. You're coaching uh, 
companies called Swap Running. You run it with your wife, Megan. And I want to really call it Megan right now because she's an equal partner. She's a fantastic runner. She's a fantastic coach. Well, actually, both of you make me look like a total schlub. I kind of feel like, you know, you're such a positive person, but I kind of feel like, oh my gosh, compare with these two, I'm just not doing anything at all. Megan is certainly one of those people. So our I just want to note, she is not on this podcast. As soon as she is done saving the world, we will definitely get her on. We we're just going to be talking to you today. And SWAP stands for Some Work All Play. Yeah, so Some Work All Play, um, that that just started as like a little turn of phrase that we never really considered all the meaning behind it. But it's kind of how we, we try to focus on, you know, supporting athlete journeys. It's that, yeah, there is a heavy component of like the day in day out work that grinds um and into that becomes like all the the science the physiology um you know megan's a doctor and an epidemiology researcher you know i have a science background and and we really try to focus on that but at the end of the day what we're really trying to do with people is support this playful aspect where where training fits into this broader life vision where you know you find joy you find love you find all the you know, ooey gooey stuff and, you know, mix that in with, with the work element, because I think that that's where the real magic happens is that this play element that really is focused on presence and mindfulness and fun actually improves performance. Um, so if we can support that over time, we're also supporting top performance. Well, you and Megan are known as outstanding coaches, extremely good reputation around here, coaches to the stars. And indeed, here's a fun way to, to work this, David. Oh, man. I asked a few of your clients what they thought about you. I just said, what do you think about David? And they gave me some interesting replies. So we're going to listen to those replies to kind of tee this off. And then, this is the fun part, you get to guess who that person was <laughs> just by what they said. Oh, gosh. This is like one of those dating uh, game game shows from like the 1980s or something where you would do it anonymously and then say what you think about the person. Ugh, this is interesting. Or it's kind of like swiping right or swiping left on a modern dating app. So we'll see what they say. <laughs> we'll see which way our listeners swipe. Here's our first comment. He, most well-known as a coach, but he quietly has a very high-end running career. He might be talented enough to qualify for trials in the marathon and would be at least in the low 220s. And indeed, I took a quick look at this. And last year, 2019, you placed at your last race of 2019 first before that first. Oh, and we keep going back first, third, first, 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 seventh at your first race and way too cool, a bit pretty competitive race seventh. So I think this person is correct. You are not only a coach who offers advice to other people, but you're an excellent athlete. Well, thank you to this athlete and to you. I, I don't know. I, I fully am on the identifying as a coach bandwagon at this point the athlete stuff like i love the day-to-day -day process of training and the purpose it gives me in um you know megan is my coach and i love just the process of self-improvement even if you know i don't know exactly where that's going um but where i get the most meaning is other athletes races and every um you know always the athletes that we coach that are on our team but then even other athletes like you know one of our big principles is we really want to try to root for basically everyone um, so yeah, I think at some point that switch totally flipped probably like five or six years ago. So for me, athletics is a wonderful diversion and something I take very seriously, but 
I take it very seriously in the context of like, um, you know, not, not caring too much at the end of the day, how like races end up or FKTs for that matter, something I also am really passionate about. But you have four FKTs, all local ones, the High Lonesome Loop, a super fun loop above Boulder. That's That has this very high beauty to effort ratio, I think, always important. The one kind of out our back door is Dirty Bismarck. But you also just this year, back in July, did the Pawnee Buchanan Loop up in the wilderness of the Indian Peaks Wilderness. What a loop that is, Pawnee yeah. Buchanan. So stunning. So I think it's around the marathon, 7,000 or 8,000 feet of climbing. But what's what's so stunning about it, um, for those that don't know, is it has these two big mountain passes, Pawnee Pass and Buchanan Pass. Each of them, you know, long climbs and descents, not too technical, but also a huge mix of terrain. You go through, it seems like every single type of, uh, you know, uh, environmental zone. Um, it's, this, it's an ultimate experience. And uh, I, I always think back to my introduction to FKTs, which was um, when I first started getting more serious about running or even understanding that trail running was a thing. I read about Anton Kropitschka doing the Pawnee Buchanan loop. He wrote about it in Runner's World, I believe in 2010. And like, I was, I thought in my head, how is that humanly possible? People can do that. And then I went to the fastest known time pro boards and, and saw it. And so doing it this year was one of those really, you know, I got emotional after the run, which I've never done before. Like even at a race, just thinking about how far, you know, that, that signified in my journey as like a human, you know, and like emotional growth to get there. So it was really cool. But for, for, to finish the story that FKT did not uh, last long because one of our athletes, this amazing beast named Drew Holman went out and totally knocked it out of the water. um, Not too long later, which was probably the best joy of all. Well, that's what a classic example, right? You trained the guy who beat your FKT. <laughs> yeah, Drew could beat me in anything, like from a looks contest to certainly an FKT to an intelligence contest or anything. I, I mean, nothing brings me more joy. And I think um, it's why, even though coaching wasn't like the path I thought I was going to take, um, given that like my background is in law and science, um, it's what it was always like, what I was always geared to do because like seeing his success or other people's success, like it really is the ultimate thing that lifts me up and makes me happy. Um, so, you know, there's a selfish element to it too. Like I just, like, it's just always how I've been wired probably because of my parents. Okay. Well, that's good. And by the way, he knocked it out of the park by a little over six minutes. So, I mean, you're just, you're selling yourself a little short here, but we're going to continue with, uh, our comment from our first uh, anonymous uh, contributor here. I like this one. This is pretty good. He is very high bandwidth. He consumes and retains a lot of material and not just running stuff and is also very productive, making hundreds of runners feel like he is truly their personal coach. Oh, yeah. Better. (laughs) I damn better do that. Yeah, no, our style is we, uh, Megan and I, check in with every athlete every day all year round, including weekends if we can. Uh, every day? Yeah, I mean, it's just how it started and it's how it continued. And um, our thing is where what we think is most important is for the iterative relationship to develop to the point that there can be trust and, you know, emotional intimacy with an athlete. That doesn't mean that you're friends necessarily, even though I hope that that's where it ends up. What it more means is that an athlete like understands that you are there for them not just in the context of here are numbers for you to reproduce, 
because I'm very confident in those numbers. But what I'm much more interested in is like, what is the whole person interaction with these numbers and like everything else that we can't quantify? Um, so, I mean, I'm not always an expert at that, but the way I found that it works best for me, at least, is getting to know a person through the like micro interactions of like, how was today? You know, what's going on in your life, if that's relevant. And every athlete uses it differently. Um, some just write something about a run. Other people will talk about, you know, like the election. I mean, I'm just getting off, you know, coaching for four hours this morning. And it was, it was basically all about the election, you know? Um, wow, really? That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're humans and, and humans that run, not runners that human. So, um, you know, I think that like, I really want to support the human element and that doesn't mean I have answers. It just means that like, I think we all need someone that's backing us up and giving us, giving us a life tailwind. And Excellent. I don't know what I can do, but I, I can't like solve problems, but hopefully I can be like a little one mile an hour tailwind. How many runners do you coach and do you and Megan mix it together? Or does you have your stable and she has hers? We have separate athletes. Um, we don't monitor exact numbers. Our rule is that like we need to make sure that we're able to be there for athletes every day. And, um, you know, part of that is not treating anything as not quantifying anything um, from from that to our accountant would be horrified because we have no idea what we're doing. We don't monitor who pays, though. Please, please, athletes, continue paying uh, <laughs> if, if you want. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I mean. You know, I think it gets back to what drives people to do anything in life. So for Megan and I, what drives us to coach is like that, that relationship element. Um, but it's not the only way to do it. And I think what's, what's really interesting, and I'm really curious to see what the athletes you, you interviewed is like, I'm sure it's a lot of different people, different perspectives. Well, we're about to find out, aren't we? So the, I could ask you to guess right now, but I, I'm sorry. We're going to give you a, this killer hint, which is uh -huh. sort of an insider hint, but I think you're going to get it. Um, and then I'll ask you to guess. I have not talked business with him in a while. Oops, there's the hint. <laughs> He's still keeping a tight operation with direct contact and all his athletes. He has not adopted the coaching tree model that would allow him to train several hundred or thousand. So who made those comments? That is Andrew Skirka, I think. Um, I don't talk... I don't know anything business really. Um, so I think it has to be him. Am I right? You are right. Bing, bing, bing. Awesome. Yeah. So for, for those that don't know, Andrew is uh, one of the best mountain athletes in the world. He, he mixes hiking and expeditions and um, has this amazing company that takes you on expeditions. And, and it's, I've heard incredible things about it from everyone that's ever gone. So um, I don't know what's, is, we can plug that at some point. Um, it's called Andrew Skirka adventures and that will be in the written show notes of course your website link will be in the written show notes as well so listeners definitely have a look at that on the website to get links to this yes yeah, so, andrew, so andrew as you mentioned is possibly the world's only professional hiker but what a lot of people don't realize is that he went to duke on a track scholarship so he's not a shabby runner by any means and more interestingly enough he has a degree in economics so the, he's, he's into it. He runs a good ship. Well, what's, what's been so fun is, you know, I, I came, I think we started in late 2016 or so. And, um, you know, the goal was marathon road marathon training at that time. And it was extremely fun to be challenged and pushed by an athlete like Andrew, who, um, you know, I think he buys into to some of the, like the, I think he buys into the whole approach now. But, you know, at first it was really about, okay, how do we get from point A to point B and let's design the pure physiology, 
focused system to get there. Um, so it was wonderful for me to really like distill down the training principles into ways that can apply to an athlete that has this big aerobic base from hiking, but might not have done a ton of like road marathon style work. And it, the coolest thing ever, I mean, he went from the marathon in the two forties over a couple cycles to running two twenty eight at the Houston marathon. So, and he did this at, I believe 35 or 36. Um, and that's all due to his hard work, his talent. And I think he made me a much better coach along the way because he has this analytical mind that, um, pushed me to be better and meet him where he was rather than expecting him to come to exactly where I was. And I think in the process, we kind of both kind of both grew in our own ways and in this like fun little ball rolling uphill. I, I agree. He speaks very highly of you as a lot of people do. And I'm going to go to our next <laughs> anonymous commentator here. Okay, here we go. David is incredible. David helps so many athletes see their potential successfully. It really is incredible. From obstacle racing to sky racing, people in their 20s, people in their 50s. And he only has six days a week full on with another rest day for all his athletes, far less intensity than other programs I've seen. So there's an interesting comment, isn't it? This person is noting that you have rest built in. Yeah, I no no idea on the, on the clue, but I think the rest element is something really important that can be a takeaway for for anyone listening. I think there's a temptation to think that um, you know we overload the stress as much as we can to lead to adaptation. Like a hundred miles a week matters um, in any context. And I mean, what we've seen with a ton of internal data over time with a lot of pro athletes in in everyone ranging from that to beginners is that it really doesn't that the co- adaptation happens in this extremely complex context that involves like thousands of different variables interacting in a chaotic stew of environmental uh, response mechanisms so you know where rest comes in is really in providing not just an insurance mechanism against injury but actual um, but you know a buffer for adaptation itself for making athletes stronger I would take an athlete doing six days a week and, you know, proportionally less mileage and intensity than seven miles a week and and cranking it up. Even if there's someone like Hayden Hawks who could do 160 mile weeks without an issue. Um, so, you know, rest really comes at uh, recovery and adaptation from a framework of thinking about the hormonal system, the endocrine system, and the nervous system. Those three combined, they all are extremely difficult to measure. Um, maybe if we took blood tests every day, we could find some proxy for it. And there's a couple studies that did things like that and then adjusted training load accordingly. But in the real world, we are not taking blood tests daily. We are not doing muscle biopsies to find out what's going on under the surface. And when you can't do that, the, the main key for adaptation is preventing these, uh, you know, these cycles of doing the work and not adapting from happening. Because as soon as that starts, that's when an athlete becomes you know, it slows down with the same amount of energy output and eventually, you know, could lead to overtraining this like complex mind and body process where you know, everything goes to shit. So um, our, yeah, our basic approach is we rest not because we're being cautious. We rest because we want to shoot our shot and go all in and actually adapt to what we're doing. Adaptation, that's the key word here. And what I've always said is that you can only train as hard as you can rest. <laughs> yeah. Running doesn't actually make you stronger resting after the run is what makes you stronger. Yeah. And I mean, it takes courage. It's really hard. I mean, um, I, I think one thing that does help though, is that we have a lot of data through Megan's research, um, where she is 
worked with a bunch of elite athletes, both that we coach and then at Stanford and other places and, you know, has seen all this, all this blood work and, and um, all this information. And essentially all of these blood biomarkers, whether we're talking about cortisol, hemoglobin, thyroid, testosterone, or sex hormones, other things, um, they all have long tails. So we introduce a sh- physical stress um, and our brain might be recovered from that physical stress relatively quickly. It could be, I mean, I've met athletes. I'm sure you have two guys that are like, it's 30 minutes later, I'm ready to go again. Um, but maybe in more normal athletes, a day or two, you know, you recover, you feel good, you feel fine. But if you're actually looking under the surface at those numbers, there is probably a two week tail on a lot of them. That's fine. We can, we can have a tail, we can train through tails. What, but what happens when you start stacking up tails on top of tails on top of tails? That's when you get this background elevated stress level, which, you know, that's when you can start, you know, not just not adapting, but like physically regressing even as you're healthy. So even as you're able to run, you're able to do the workout, everything is getting slightly worse on the cellular level. And when that happens, that's it's kind of when athletes start selling themselves short and think, well, maybe I don't have the talent. Maybe I don't have the ability to do this. And our main goal is to open up those doors. It's like, no, you actually can, but we need to have the courage to take a step back too. And no athlete over the age of 50 says, I'm ready to go after 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I, you know, age, age is a big thing, but also, you know, sex is a big, gender is a big thing. Like, um, everyone is different and, and it's, it's impossible to generalize, but, um, you know, testosterone is a hell of a drug, a hell of a background drug to have. And so for male athletes, often the game can be a little bit different, um, than, than female athletes, particularly like, you know, female athletes that also have considerations about their menstrual cycle and, and other things that men never do. Um, so we really try to focus too on like, um, what the athlete's specific background is like, there's zero, there's zero, like what Hayden's doing and what Matt Daniels is doing and what Claire Gallagher are doing are, are so, so different. I mean, there's some background principles like the rest, but other than that, we try to really focus on how the athlete responds individually. Good call. Appreciate that. And, uh, actually here's a quick question before I forget, if people are listening to this are going, Oh my gosh. So I'm going to get interject this question before we go back to our second mystery guest. Dave, <laughs> you and Megan have room for other clients. We should ask that right now. <laughs> um, sometimes. So our general thing is if it's a perfect fit, um, you know, we're, we're always here, but we're also always here. We always answer every question on email, even if we're not a coach. So like any way we can help. Um, and then we also uh, try to lift up other coaches and, and um, refer to the right coach for each individual athletes, like focus that, are, uh, you know, coaches with their own businesses, but yeah. So in other words, it's a, it's a non-answer. I'm, I'm in the political spirit, perhaps. <laughs> maybe we'll put that down as a maybe. Okay. Our second mystery guest, long all day adventure runs 50 K or longer are not part of the program. Ooh. This is kind of a hint here. You know who you might be dealing with. Uh, it's tough on me not having that anymore, but the result is worth it to me at this point. So does yeah. that give you any hint? This person is uh, noting that you, you you don't need to go out there all day long. Yeah, still still not sure of the individual, though thank you to Mr. Yes. But I, I think, you know, what the reason that we de-emphasize extra like length quantity as a proxy is that very few positive adaptations actually happen from quantity in and of itself. Um, particularly for athletes that are, are at all developed, like their aerobic system, you know, we're working at the margins. 
um, those those over distance efforts that go beyond like five or six hours are primarily just destructive, particularly on a cellular cellular level. So there's a time and a place for them. There are long term adaptations, probably most of which relate to central fatigue in the nervous system that are relevant. So like, you know, we'll have athletes do a 50k or a 50 miler, or even 100k before a 100 miler, because th- there are some adaptations that need to happen that are weakly understood. But from background training principles, there's a reason that road marathoners would never, you know, go out and run 40 miles. Like even the, the Japanese teams that do the over distance work or, or, you know, the East African training camps that will occasionally do 28 milers. So our, our basic principle is we never want to put a roadblock in, in front of adaptation. So, and, you know, when it comes to adventure, that means that trying to, you know, take away quantity as a, as a proxy for um, valid validity and really instead move to quality of the experience. And, and then that also is usually a good proxy for what the actual training stimulus is. Okay. That's a good answer because, that, because you know, ultra running took over the United States sport about 15 years ago. And I, I was around when that happened. People became poorer runners, in my opinion. I almost, I really wanted to write an article on this. I, of course, never did. But then Americans would go overseas and they just get their clock clean. They just get dropped in the first 200 meters because they'd kind of become joggers. It was sort of interesting. It was like America is bigger is better, which meant longer is better. And you're saying quality is better. Well, we never want an athlete to get too far away from their 10K effort. That doesn't mean that you need to be a 10K athlete or be able to run on 10K on the track. For some athletes, like a good example might be Nicole Maracle, who's a total, one of the best, the best obstacle course racer in the world. I'll just go out there and say that. Like, she doesn't do any really speed sessions. Almost all of her work is on hills, but she's always familiar with that like higher intensity, but not all out anaerobic stimulus where you're getting really strong aerobic benefit, really strong musculoskeletal benefit where the power feeds back with the aerobic system. Um, so, you know, what? it's almost like cliche for me to say it now, but I think that the, the best, like the best athlete at that 10 K effort level that hits the start line of an ultra capable of deal of like musculoskeletally handling the impact of the day will usually have the biggest advantage, assuming like equal, equal genetics. I mean, a good example, perhaps being um, like Claire at Western States in 2019, where she, she hit that start line. Like, I think she hadn't done a huge, I mean, I think she averaged 50 some miles a week, but she was fast as heck. Um, because Claire's an amazing athlete and, and really, you know, was able to nail intervals, even though we didn't, weren't like nailing epic days in the mountains. So um, that's what we really focus on. We want athletes to really embrace and, and, and not just pros, like though I'm using a lot of those examples, like anyone to embrace that they are a freaking elite athlete. And elite athlete means that like, we got to go for it in training. We got to push ourselves. We got to do that stuff. And in moderation, because we're worried about adaptation, but um, you know, when we do, like, we don't want to just get good at going slow while also hammering ourselves into the ground with like a ton of distance and impact. It was Emil Zatopek a little before your time, almost before my time, which is really saying a lot, but with the advent of the word you just mentioned over distance, that concept came into play. And he famously said, I already know how to run slow. I want to know how to run fast. <laughs> yeah. And you know, aerobic, the aerobic system, like easy activity is the most important thing. Like we still emphasize that heavily. What we just try to avoid is like unnecessary breakdown. I think sometimes that, you know, we can view 
all of us as athletes and people, when we're thinking about even like work, you know, in, in the work environment, especially in Silicon Valley, working overnight and, and killing yourself is viewed almost as a proxy for how much you want it or want your company to succeed. Similarly, running, I think as athletes, we can be like, okay, if I'm not, if I don't need to be scraped off the ground with a spatula after this interval workout, it's not valid. Or if I finish this long run and feel like I could go do it again, it's not a good long run, you know? Um, and instead, like our, our whole approach is like, we think that the science indicates that adaptation only happens when an athlete feels good. Maybe every periodically, every four to six weeks, a going to the well and, and causing a super compensation stimulus is, is a good idea. But short of that, we want to elevate lack of self-destruction um, because some athletes, and, and I think the hard part here is people like Emil Zapotec and, you know, Kipchoge and others can adapt through, um, these physiological storms that happen when they, they push themselves really hard, but we should not interpolate training theory from these outliers because these outliers are outliers because they're one in a billion genetics. Um, instead what we want to create is like, you know, a, a framework where we're, we're both not taking risks, but also going for it at the same time. It's this good mix where you're able to find your true potential, but without, you know, self-destruction. Right. Well, I love what you're saying, David. I, I think everyone can relate to this. Adaptation is really the theme that, that carries through here. It's not necessarily the speed or the distance. It's creating an atmosphere, a mechanism where the athlete adapts to the workload and improves mentally, physically, and emotional. So let's figure out who this <laughs> is. So this person apparently likes long runs because they're kind of going, oh, yeah, man, yeah. No long runs. And uh, let's see. Now, the next stuff is, isn't a great hint. Uh, he says, David is always on the spreadsheet of his athlete. I don't think I've ever seen a moment on my sheet log go more than four hours without a reply. And this person just noting that you're just totally on it. These aren't good hints, but everyone's saying that. So the best hint is that this person did well at UTMB. And uh -huh. This person lives in southwestern Colorado. Okay, I know this one. Uh, this is Jason Slarb, uh, right? Ding, ding, ding. So Jason, one, he's one of the best athletes I've ever seen. I think that, I mean, I don't want to speak about his journey on his behalf, but I would just say, get your popcorn popping now for hard rock in 2021. When Jason, at, I'm not sure if he's going to be 42 or 43 then, but I think we are going to see some shit go down in a big way. Um, but also, you know, like one of the greatest humans, I, you know, he just fills up everyone that's around him with this feeling of warmth. Um, and like, I admire him so much. Excellent. Well, Jason, of course, tied with Killian Jornet at Hard Rock a number of years ago. And then he had what, I think he was, he was tired. I think he was a little burnt out. He was preoccupied. I don't know what's going on. You know more than I do. But his results tailed off a little bit. Now you say he's coming back, and that's probably for the reasons that you were describing. He's probably resting. He's probably rebuilding. He's probably adapting rather than just work, work, work. Yeah. And, you know, as an athlete, I think it's important to understand that steps back are, are extremely important. And, um, you know, a rest day is a version of a step back, but also 2020 is a grand version of a step back for many athletes. And it's a great thing. Like we, if we went through our website and looked at the like athletes we highlight on there for marketing purposes. Um, but no, if we did that, like, I think I could probably trace all of the breakthroughs listed to a specific setback that at the time, seemed like it was all consuming, you know, and getting comfortable with that is really hard. Um, and it's one reason that like the zoomed out perspective of coach can be helpful 
is, you know, those lowest lows are always followed by the highest highs, as long as you're willing to keep like investing and believing in yourself. And Jason exemplifies that to the max. Like, you know, he's had such an amazing run here. And I think we both know now that at some point, like his luck's going to run out in a race, you know, like he just won I am tough, but like the, and that'll be okay. You know, that'll be a part of the process too. He'll just have his next breakthrough off that step back. Right. Okay. Uh, stay tuned. Of course, how to rock has been canceled two years in a row. Yeah. So we'll see what happens for 2021. Hopefully we'll be congregate. The gathering of the tribes will take place in Silverton, Colorado in July of next year. We hope Maybe I should say just to hedge my bets, uh, you know, 2026 hard rock course record going down Jason Slarb at whatever age he is. Then. Okay. All right. You're on record now. I appreciate that. Yeah. And our third mystery guest starts out by saying, I'd say he's the most enthusiastically and eternally optimistic person there is. Uh, wait a minute. We got to just pause here for a second because that's, that's totally true. You could possibly win the most positive person of the year award. We're setting up this podcast, right? What I could re- I could start reading back quotes here, which could have to do with buzz. You're awesome. Buzz. This is the best <laughs> is real. I mean, is this marketing? Or are you truly this amazingly positive of a person? I mean, well, one, it means a ton that the athlete would say it, it means a lot that you would say that too. Um, but I think it's key to understand like where these sorts of things come from. Like when I say someone is awesome or anything like that, at least for me, like I hope it's understood that it comes from an understanding that there's immense complexity in the world and in the universe and in everything else that we're dealing with. Um, and we are all like, people that are listening to this that are playing with their drinking game at home can now take a big shot because I'm going to say we are all heading towards the abyss, whatever <laughs> that abyss is, um, you know, and in the face of that, like the old, I, I love two Kurt Lonnegut quotes, which I read when I was a kid and were really formative to me. Um, one is we're here to help each other get through this thing, whatever it is. And the second is we're here on earth to fart around and don't let anyone tell you different. Um, okay. Actually, the third one, he gave a commencement speech. I want to just chime in his third edit, you know, because he's a deep thinker. He's a super iconic person. His third comment was brush your teeth. Yeah. Because yeah. you became an old guy. I'm an old guy. And so by the time you get to be a certain age, you go, wow, this is kind of a hardship. If I would have just taken a little better care of myself in my twenties and thirties. Yeah. Okay. Like, super. That's fascinating that you pointed that out because the, the idea in the same challenge that faces anyone that, seeks these these questions you know since there's all they're just questions is that we're still like humans that go through life and have all these emotions and have fucked up teeth or whatever and you know we just got to do it so for me it's like look we are all standing on the edge of this this abyss take another shot um we're all standing on the edge of this abyss and what can we do for for others like yeah we could be serious and think that we matter more than we do or whatever for me the answer is to hopefully try to like you know, get a little light, laugh with, help people laugh along with it. And then also like help myself laugh and then, you know, keep moving forward. And that's why like the political thing that I mentioned at the start is so relevant because it's like, yes, we're all standing at the abyss and and trying to laugh at it. And like when, when people's like lives and rights are at stake, like I coach transgender athletes who are scared, so scared. And like, you know, when, when those things are threatened, then I'm like, no, that's not okay. That is a time where we need to stand up and help people that are not able to laugh at the edge of the abyss because they're, you know, they're 
they have fundamental issues that need to be taken care of. Or just need to be, res- they need to be respected and their individually individual personhood needs to be valued. And that's why I'm like, look, I, val- I, tr- I think we should value everyone. So, um, but long story short, um, hopefully where the like, if I'm perceived as positive by some people, where hopefully where that comes from is like an understanding that like, I genuinely give a shit about them. Not, not necessarily about like saving the whales or anything like that, though I care about the environment, but more just like, we're all in this together and hopefully we can, you know, just laugh our way towards the abyss. A real sincere point of view, David. I definitely recognize that as I think the listeners do as well, but there was a little chink in this. They came up a couple of weeks ago and I'm referring to the now somewhat famous Boulder Skyline Traverse. Isn't that a fun one? We get <laughs> asked, the media asks us about controversy here at FKT. I get interviewed all the time and no, there's very little controversy. It's a community. You know, why, why do anything else? We all take care of each other, but a couple of weeks ago, we got a little flurry of emails about a time that came in on a local FKT route that looked a little bit too good to be true. And indeed, it appeared there that David Roach kind of got a little irked at this. <laughs> yeah. So the, the background here is that um, w- one of our athletes and one of our best friends, Bailey Colasizit, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, but she's rapidly becoming one of the greatest athletes in the world. Um, and in the process of, of, you know, 2020 being all thrown up in the air, she did the Boulder skyline traverse, this iconic 16 mile, 6,000 feet of climbing route here in Boulder. And, uh, I was, I was able to crew her at that event and got to see one, you know, the time was incredible. She ended up running 310, but two, how, you know, halfway, th- I was crewing her halfway through when she'd already done like 4,500 feet of vert. And I was trying to give her water going up a hill. And like, I was totally fresh and almost got dropped. Um, I was like, no one is touching this time unless like, you know, they would have th- whoever, if anyone touched their time, th- that time, they would have like, you know, we would know. Um, <laughs> Bailey was about to head off to Europe um, to compete in the Golden Trail series. And um, I, she sent me a, a text about it, about this. And so it just made me dig deeper and um, shoot some emails to Strava and other things. And fortunately we found out that there was maybe some, uh, some dishonesty going on with that. And, and it's not that I have a, like, I don't think that anyone that cheats or anything should be run under the bus for things that don't harm others. I, I just more think like, I really care about Bailey and I want, I didn't want her to go to Europe feeling like she was, uh, you know, less of a superstar than she is. Well, I'd like people to know that these things, as I mentioned, are really quite, quite uncommon. Uh, but we got emails on this one. And I think the most interesting one, I forgot the author now, but he noted that from uh, South Boulder Peak to Bear Peak, this person's split time was faster than his, Andy Wackers, and faster than Joe Gray, world mountain running champion. So little red light bulbs were going off. And the run marketing manager who's been on our podcast happens to live here, Larissa Rivers. And so she got her engineers on this and they indeed found out this person cheated. They doctored the GPX file, which is not easy to do. They kind of had to work at it to get it through Strava, but Strava detected it and they were literally caught cheating, which as you say, David, is not something really to get mad about it. It's something to be compassionate and understanding about because ouch, ouch. Yeah. I mean, and I, maybe I think the biggest thing to emphasize on this point 
and to the listeners too, is like everyone is going through some sort of pain. And sometimes those pains are, are much worse than we could ever imagine. And, and the, this, I think the style of coaching we do is allowed Megan and I to get a window into some of that. It's not that we see it all. We just kind of peek through a keyhole at people's lives. And in the process, you see like this whole being human thing isn't easy. So if you're going through something, know that you can talk about it and you are loved just as you are. Um, and, you know, I think with this individual, you know, the point is that there's clearly something there that, that goes, it's much harder going on um, than anything to do with an FKT. So I was really happy that the way FKT website and way you handled that buzz, that it wasn't made into like a big, huge deal at the time. And, um, you know, I hope that whatever help is needed is gotten, though I was blocked. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's one of those. Right. It's interesting. What motivates people is interesting. And we never know what's going on with someone. So if you're dealing with something like, know that it's okay to talk about it, even if it's really hard. And even if you've done something wrong, like it's okay to open up. It's okay for other people to open up, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I reserve that. For, uh, <laughs> my, my dog knows. Let's continue with our third mystery guest. We just touched on the eternal optimism here. And uh, we also have, I think it'd be interesting, quoting our third mystery guest, to discuss how he works with people to set goals that are meaningful and motivating, but are eternal optimism aside, practical and realistic. And does he feel the approach of pulling someone toward a goal like you can do more rather than pushing you're not good enough is always superior. That's a, that's a thoughtful little comment. Yeah. That kind of like digs down right into my soul. Um, so this person clearly knows me very well. Um, yeah. So my, you know, I mentioned my parents before my mom was a teacher who, you know, I think teaching is the best example of this because what she always said to me is like, no one's going to remember what I teach them necessarily. It's not going to really matter for their lives. They'll just remember how I made them feel. And my dad was a coach of all these little sports teams and he made all these little kids think they were the best athletes on earth. And it led to these super teams out of, you know, from, from nothing. And I think what I learned from them is that like when setting goals, it's not even about reaching goals. It's just about having the courage to give yourself the chance that all so many of us are walking around with weight vests where that, that are weighing us down just of our past experiences, our prior constraints, all these other things. And my role is to come in and be like, okay, what would that athlete look like without that weight vest on their back? Um, it's not to say like what they would look like if they were someone else or had a different life or anything like that. It's to say, okay, let's just lift it off. Let's do that tailwind. Um, well, I think this athlete did take that weight vest off. I'm going to ask you to guess who it is based on his last sentence here, which is I think one reason I work well with him is that we're good foils to one another. I'm much more pro pragmatic and ground up in my approach and mindset. Who is this person? Um, well, based on the connection with you, I'm going to say John Kelly. <laughs> well, that's true. So you got it's a good matrix because yeah. John has been on the podcast, uh, Schlarb has been on the podcast, Andrew Skirk has been on the podcast. All our mystery guests have been on this podcast, and John Kelly definitely took off the weight fest, didn't he? Yeah. So this summer, for I mean, I'm sure it's on his episode, but he did um, the Penine Way FKT, 268 miles, legend, one of the most legendary routes in the UK. And he followed that up just four weeks later with the um, Grand Round, which involved three 60-plus mile routes with 20,000 feet of climbing each that he connected via 400 miles of cycling. And he did the bikes at almost like 
not that much under 20 miles an hour, including stops. And he did the runs so fast. And, um, you know, I think it gets back to like, when he asked about that, it's like, yeah, of course you can do that, John. I mean, anyone that's seen your background knows you can do that. And that's my, that's my role as a coach is like, you know, validating what's already within a person. Um, so it's kind of like what, what Michael Andrews. Oh, I, like, I, I think it's a quick pause here because no one else had even considered trying this. So this is one of those OKTs, the three grand rounds of the UK, each one is like a lifetime project for many people. So he did all three, just to clarify, nonstop biking, self-propelled in between. Yeah, I mean, and you know, he's an absolute monster. Um, genetically, uh, his toughness, his, you know, everything that goes into what makes John, John. Um, for, for other people, like, you know, our, where our constraints, where we're holding ourselves back might lie in the fact that like, oh, I'm not able to break 30 minutes in a 5k. And, um, I think my role as a teacher and coach or whatever you want to call what I do is just dreaming big for athletes. So I'm not a pusher. Like I don't push people towards things, but I do like gently try to open a door and like, Hey, you know, that door's right there. You, you want to try it? Um, so with John, he doesn't need much. I mean, he's like, so self-motivated, so brilliant, such a boss. Um, but for other athletes, you need to sometimes say like, Hey, you can win Western States. Like you can, that doesn't mean that we will, but like, I know you can, and I would never, ever, like, you just, you just honestly tell them what's already within them. And I think sometimes that's all we need, you know, in life. Like I know I need it. And, and Megan and, and my friends and, and John, John and Andrew and Jason, they all give that to me, which is super cool that it feeds back. <laughs> I like that. I really appreciate that. Well, John is a smart man. Uh, I don't even know what he does. He moved from Washington, DC to the UK to do this job. I can't even figure out what it is. Uh, but that's, that's a good guess. Okay. Three out of three, one more to go, but here's the quick pause here. Yeah. Super nuts and bolts as John suggested. Here we go. What are, and I'm going to do the reciprocal as well. What two things should people not do? And after that, I'm going to ask you what two things should people do? This is of course, anywhere in the ballpark, two little quickie tips that our listeners might be able to take away. Let's start with, and eh, this isn't valid. Uh, so what should you not don't neglect maximum output. So I think the hardest part of running training, especially for ultras and long FKTs and things like that, is there's a temptation to think we are in a, like lungs with legs, just an aerobic system um, layered on top of legs that make that aerobic system activate. But running, what separates it from sports like biking, um, for example, is that we are so much more complex than that. We are a neuromuscular system, a biomechanical system, um, feeding back into these things over long periods of time. Running and run in biking, you know, you have a machine that is the power output. So you are basically an aerobic metabolic machine. In running, your body is the machine and your body w needs to become more efficient. Um, essentially, like you're putting like that money that you would go into a great bike into your running machine. And so there's a lot of ways to do that. Mostly it involves, you know, keeping things easy, staying healthy, taking rest days. But with maximum output running, I mean, like literally being comfortable, you know, doing a hill stride at 20, 15 to 30 seconds close to your max. It doesn't mean you're sprinting. It just means that you're putting out a lot of power. Um, and so we're heavily, we heavily emphasize hill strides all year round for almost all athletes. Oh. 
including the three you mentioned, John Kelly before his 268 miler was doing a lot of four by 20 second hills. Uh, oh, wait, 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 really? This is an interesting tidbit. So oh, before yeah. he did this giant multi-day trip, he was doing hill strides. Yeah. So, you know, it all comes down to how the brain interacts with the body. Um, there, my, my favorite study ever uh, was in 2018 in physiology reports where they took well-trained athletes, so athletes with very high VO2 maxes, um, and on top of their existing training, just added five to 10 by 30 second intervals. So this is not, not we wouldn't train with that protocol, but the idea there is very short uh, bouts of exercise. But on top, on top of that, they decreased total volume by 36%. So these you athletes- Decreased. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, I, they're doing fewer miles, a little bit le- more intensity, but not hard intervals, right? Just these kind of closer to maximum output, though not sprints. And the f- most fascinating thing happened. All these athletes got much faster. But at the same time, their aerobic systems got slightly worse. So their VO2 max and lactate threshold had slight non-significant decreases. So what are we measuring there? Aerobic systems actually getting slightly worse while speed increases a lot. Their, their running economy is improving while their aerobic systems are not. And what that is, is that the neuromuscular element of running is so much more complex than we can model in a lab. Um, and what we try to do is harness that positive feedback loop, because once you start getting these, these higher output, uh, this higher output efficiency, then you can feed that back into the lower output, like long runs and things like that and get this, the, the, the lower output runs get a little bit more efficient as they measured in that study And that extra aerobic development makes the, the higher output things slightly more efficient too, because everything is aerobic and running, including these hill strides. Um, and then you just get a little bit up, a little bit up, a little bit up. And over time, that's how an athlete can progress over five to eight years. Like that's what our end goal is here is that we don't want an athlete to peak six weeks from now. We want to see what can happen if we broaden those horizons over years. Um, so not to lose sight of the maximum output is my first recommendation. Okay. I like that. Now, would you equate this or to be similar to HIT, uh, high intensity interval training? Yeah. So... <laughs> You know, it's a it's a matter of uh, semantics, but no. Um, so hit implies that your my uh, my camera here on this virtual recording keeps flying off. Um, but hit implies that there is um, an aerobic emphasis here that we're looking for a workout like Tabatas or whatever you might have read about hit workouts. Um, but a focus on high intensity aerobic training, like very high intensity usually leads to less efficient athletes. And our goal is efficiency. So when we're talking about hill strides, we're talking about basically full recovery. When we talk about short intervals, like we'll do, you know, Andrew and uh, Jason and um, John all know, like they've done a lot of 10 by one minute at, you know, or 10 by two minute at 10K effort. Like things are controlled um, rather than going to maximum. Because once athletes go to maximum, um, you start to really... I'm not going to get, we're running all the time. I don't, we're not going to, you get, you throw a wrench in how the aerobic system actually adapts. Um, And we really want an overriding focus on the aerobic system. Okay. That's wow. That's a big one right there. What would number two be, David? Oh man, I forgot there was going to be a number two. Um, Number two is. How about something not to do? I mean, you should do this, don't do it. Or, or you can go the other direction. Let's leave it your choice. Something else that you should do. Don't hack your body. Um, especially when it comes to nutrition, um, that f- fuel and eating enough 
within day and across days is the most important thing for adaptation, that all of this stuff I'm talking about is a moot point if an athlete does not have adequate nutrition. Um, okay. And like what that means is different for each person, but I would heavily caution athletes against like trying to control each little knob, particularly things with a keto diet or whatever. It's like the best way to find your potential is making sure you have enough. And what that means for each person can look a lot different. Excellent. Excellent. This brings us to our fourth mystery guest. I know what this person has for breakfast because I've read about it in outside online. That's true. Oh, that's, a good, that's a great hint. I, I okay. oh, 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 I, get, I just gave that one away. Oh my gosh. Sorry about that. But I'm going to give you the quotes anyway, because this is, uh, this is next level stuff. And of course, the first sentence is, I'd say he's the most enthusiastically and eternally, eternally optimistic person there is. Yabba, yabba. But here we go. I think... Uh, I think he also helped provide the legal framework for a transgender case in Idaho. He's a low-key savant. He's a brilliant environmental lawyer on the side. So this is another part of you, David, that you haven't talked about. It's not exactly on your website, but you're an environmental lawyer. Yeah. So that was always the plan was to do public interest environmental law. Um, so to clarify there with the uh, the transgender rights case, my good friend is counsel in that case, and I played a slight role, but um, very, very background. More, it's more advocacy in that. But then I work with um, tribes in Alaska and Canada on resource management issues. And um, yeah, I mean, the plan was always to be an environmental lawyer and, and um, coaching kind of just popped up in the middle of all that. So I... I I think part of it might be that maybe I'm not a great environmental lawyer. Um, and part of it is just like, um, you know, it, it's a great balance to be able to do some promo, do the pro bono work on the side, but also get to interact with amazing yeah. people. Like this person. Okay. So basically, basically, David, you want to make some serious money. So you got into coaching running. You know, that's what they say is like, you can either go into investment banking or running coaching. And I'm, you know, not great with money. So. Good call then. Let's continue because these quotes get to be just totally amazing and actually kind of give away who it is. Listeners might be able to guess who this is based on these quotes, which is his perspective and aerial view on life and the world is cosmic. Here we go. Sometimes I think he's living in the year 2500 and his 2020 avatar is just trying to correct all our dumbass mistakes we're making today. <laughs> Well, I would know who won the election if, I, if that was true. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just love this person so much. I don't know when I'm when I should officially say who it is. Well, um, you got it. I mean, who who else could who else would say something like that? It has. It's Claire Gallagher. Um, you know, bing, bing, bing. My parents, my parents met Claire um, a few years ago for the first time, and they left, and they're like, "That was the best person we've ever met." Um, Claire has this life force. And uh, it was, I remember being at Western States last year and getting to see her at Forest Hill. And after she came through Forest Hill with that life force on full display, Megan um, looked at me and was like, no one is going to beat her today. Um, you know, we didn't know for sure. We were just trying to comfort each other. But it's just, she brings that both to others and to races. And it's remarkable. It is remarkable. It's funny when you can hear how a person talks and you have to figure there's only one person who would come up with, he's living 300 years in the future and he's just back here trying to tell us what to do now. That's uh, that's a good one. But Claire did ask me to ask you 
your take on finding purpose in life? Yeah, <laughs> that's such an amazing question. And I think purpose just is a pure, you know, we're playing darts in the uni- any universal game none of us really understand. And like fully embracing that uncertainty, like our, our pre-race email says to athletes, like you're stardust with delusions of grandeur. Um, we all are. Um, and our book started with the first line being like talking about death. And the idea being that like these things that we find our purpose in aren't universal truths that have to, we have to hold ourselves to or be pressured by. These things are playful, like excuses to fully experience whatever, you know, good fortune we have with existence, you know? And so there's going to be these massive ups, whether it's Claire winning Western States, but there's also going to be these titanic lows in that, that that's part of being human. And so when we're finding our purpose, it's not about like, oh, I want to win a race or become the best podcast or become a great environmental lawyer. It's like, I want to see what I got. I want to live life with like this reckless abandon that lets me put my chips on the table and bet on myself and bet on love and bet on all these other things that I actually believe in. Um, and from there, yeah, that might win to a race, lead to a race winner, or a great podcast, or it might lead to none of that shit. And it doesn't matter. The point isn't where it ends up. The point is just betting on yourself in the first place. David, there's nothing else to say besides that. I think we'll leave our listeners with that amazing comment. And I really appreciate you. Thank you for taking your time. Thank you so much, Buzz. I would love to interview you on the podcast at some point. Um, And to everyone listening, you know, so much love to you all. I know I started with, you know, maybe a little heavier topic, um, but like that, that beauty, that spark that's within you, like, fuck yeah. And um, let's go do it. 